Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we continue our series on the spiritual journey, and today's message is called A Shift in Perspective, and we're just looking at um, particularly wisdom from Paul in Philippians chapter 4 that can help us not be controlled by anxiety or fear or uh, resentments, but to actually learn to find God in the everyday, ordinary things of life, and, and particularly in our struggles. So some practical stuff here that I think will be very helpful, particularly during this holiday season. So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Y'all, uh, y'all have a good Thanksgiving. Like, like anybody's gonna say no. Um, how many of y'all were in charge of cooking food at your Thanksgiving? All right, yeah. <laughs> and how'd it go? Good food. Good food. This was this was uh, only my third time after twenty years of being married to cook a turkey, and and I'm happy to say that that. This one actually worked out. Uh, my first turkey, I was thinking about this. When we got married, like three months after we got married, it's Thanksgiving. And I cooked my first turkey, uh, which was kind of ridiculous. It was like the two of us and some crazy neighbors. I mean, legit crazy neighbors. Um, <laughs> certified. Uh, and, and I cooked a turkey, but I didn't, I didn't realize that there's this little bag of, of organs. Oh. That's, and I and I'm 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 starting to trim the thing up, and I come across this strange plastic bag that smelled like it had been cooking in the oven for four hours, and uh, so that was my way of learning that oh yeah they they put everything in a bag and stuff it in the turkey. That was my first one, and then my second one was a few years ago, uh, right after Katrina. I decided that big holy smoke smoker that we had. Uh, we had the smokers out there for Katrina relief. So I was like, I'm going to smoke a turkey. And I had no idea. It's, it's a little bit different than smoking a brisket. Brisket, you know, you, you smoke low and slow for eight hours. I tried that same thing. And by the time the turkey actually got done on the inside, it had about an inch of char on the outside. <laughs> the two pounds of meat that we got from it were, were quite delicious. <laughs> Just had to do considerable digging to get down to it. Uh, so I was I was happy. This this turkey actually uh, came out nice, and this was our first Thanksgiving in probably 15 years to just be home, and so that was kind of a cool thing. But um, as I was contemplating Thanksgiving and cooking and entertaining and having people over, I was kind of reminded um, of the story from the Gospel of Luke of, of Mary and Martha when they invite Jesus over to their house for dinner. And, it, and if you've been in church much. You've probably heard this story. You've probably heard numerous messages on it, but I'll give you the quick recap. Uh, basically, Jesus is over at, uh, is it, uh, I think it's Bethany, um, where it's, it's right outside of Jerusalem, and this is where some of his favorite people in the world lived. It, there's good evidence that, that Jesus' closest friends were actually Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and uh, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and Jesus is over there for dinner, and uh, Jesus is sitting in the living room with Mary and, and Lazarus and Martha is in the kitchen 
cooking, a, cooking a meal. And I love this story because I can really um, relate to Martha. Do we have anybody that can relate to Martha? Mar- okay, some honest people? Okay, come on. So Martha, she, she's a good host. She wants to do something special. She wants to cook this meal for Jesus. But as often happens when you're cooking a meal, you ever get to that point where I, this is like the worst thing ever, like you've got something planned and you left out one ingredient and you're already committed, you know, like you're already in the process of cooking something, so you've got to figure out a way to improvise. And sometimes that works well, sometimes not so much. But, there, you know, when you are inviting people to your house for dinner and you're cooking, it's, it can kind of get tense. Like Dina knows, like the last five minutes before I plate uh, the, the food that I'm inviting people over, like, stay away from daddy. <laughs> He's going to be nice in a few minutes, but uh, it, it can get pretty intense. And I don't know if that's what was going on with Martha, but Martha's in the kitchen. She's working on this special meal while everybody else is in the other room, and she might be suffering from a little bit of case of uh, FOMO, um, fear of missing out. And she starts to get a little resentful, a little angry, because she's doing all the work and everybody's carrying on, having a good old time in there. Uh, And so finally she she decides she's going to say something, and it's perfectly obvious to her what the right answer is. You know, it's perfectly obvious to her what looks like justice and righteousness in this situation. So she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I've been slaving all day and they're trying to make a wonderful meal for everybody that we're going to enjoy, dang it. But Mary's just doing nothing. She's just sitting here. And she expects that Jesus is going to send Mary into the other room to help Martha. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're, you're worried about so many things right now, but there's only one thing that actually needs to happen right now, and, and Mary's doing that, and it won't be taken away from her. Mary's just sitting with Jesus, and, and this, this kind of reveals something about hospitality. You know, there is a type of hospitality that is warm and inviting where you feel like you can be yourself, but have, maybe you experience this even on Thanksgiving. There's a type of hospitality that's oppressive, right? You know, where, where your, your host is so on edge trying to make everything perfect that, that you just feel awkward and tense. <laughs> and that's kind of where, where Martha is. And so the moral to this story oftentimes, and I've heard countless messages on this passage, and I've delivered a few messages on this in my life, the moral of this story typically is you can either be with God or do stuff for God. And that's, I guess if those were your only two options, it's probably better to just be with God than do stuff for God. But I I think for us Protestants that, that, you know, it kind of reinforces this, you know, we're saved by grace, not by works. We just need to be with God. And I agree with that to a certain level. But I think what what arises to me when I look at this story, the thoughts that I think of is perhaps it's not an either or thing, but perhaps for Martha, it is a question of not whether she can cook a meal but how she can encounter God in the process of cooking the meal. How cooking the meal can actually become a place of worship, a place of reflection, a place of contemplation, a place of joy and life. And that's what I want to talk about today. We've been in a series over 
uh, talking about the spiritual journey for the last month. And, and for the last few weeks, I've been kind of looking at stages of the journey. But, but today, I just want to look at something very practical for day-to-day following Jesus. And this, is, this has to do with changing our perspective. You know, when you become a Christian, as Shane was saying today during communion, being a Christian does not exempt you from anything. <laughs> you know, the moment you say yes to Jesus, you're still in the same old world. You still have the same old issues, and you got to face the same old realities that everybody else faces. But hopefully, in the process of following Jesus, we can learn to change our perspective that we can look at the very same circumstances but come at them from a different angle, a different angle where, where instead of uh, you know, being thrown off by all the things that don't work out, <laughs> we can actually come to engage the Spirit. In the seeming, seemingly mundane and random and even difficult circumstances that we face. And to this end, the Apostle Paul has some, some beautiful, encouraging words uh, in the book of Philippians that I think can help us all. And I think if, 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 if there was ever a time to talk about um, dealing with anxiety... Uh, it's probably right now as we kick off the Advent season. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame that the season that's talking of, you know, where we reflect on Jesus coming into our world and the angels singing and worship, that this is probably the most anxiety-riddled time of the year for most people. But the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, and it, I think I put it on the, oh, I'll put it in multiple places on, on your uh, bulletin. In Philippians chapter 4, He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now, I want to pause for one moment to give a little bit of context here. Probably the first series we ever did in this church where we went through a book of the Bible was like our second year of doing this church, and we did a series on the book of Philippians, which was really one of my favorite series that we ever did. We spent like 24 weeks going through the book of Philippians. But uh, we called the series Letters from Prison. Because a lot of people don't realize when they read Philippians, it was not a letter written from you know, a seminary professor at an academic institution. Paul wrote this when he was locked up in a Roman prison. And this was back in the days where like, if somebody didn't bring you food from the outside world, you wouldn't eat. It wasn't like our modern you know, prison systems where at least you get food. It's you're stuck, locked up. He's on death row. He could die at any day. And you know, being the Romans, it could be a very painful death. But Paul writes the book of Philippians, which is probably one of the most joyful and hope-filled books in the New Testament. And he writes it when he's in prison, on death row. And I think it's important to to know that, to realize Paul is not writing this letter when everything is going great in his life, but probably at what would, from the outside, appear to be the darkest time in his life. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. And when we think about anxiety... I think probably an an easy way to to define anxiety kind of on a practical level is anxiety is using your imagination to take you out of this present moment and ruminate on possible negative futures. That's what anxiety is. 
Anxiety is when we use our God-given imagination to imagine scenarios that are going to be awful and put our faith in those scenarios. So not only does it take us out of this moment, but it also kind of begins to adjust the trajectory of our life. It's, it, anxiety can kind of become like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, that, that you end up uh, imagining the worst things that can happen and you start aiming towards that future without even realizing it. But, but Paul's cure for anxiety is, starts with, number one, rejoicing in God. You know, one reason we come here and we kick off every weekend with worship, why we sing these songs together is we're rejoicing in God. We're celebrating who God is and what God has done. And we need this. We need this time in our life. This is not just the pregame show before the message happens. We need to sing songs where we celebrate God's goodness together. Have you ever noticed that, that just in singing a few songs, sometimes your attitude completely shifts? You go from a place of, of anxiety and worry to all of a sudden now you, you, you see God as large and in charge. We need those. That's one, one of the biggest important things that we do here as a church is, is this little part of singing together. <laughs> uh, we rejoice in the Lord. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. You know, when you start rejoicing in God, the fruit of that is you move from a posture of defensiveness, trying to, you know, because that's what anxiety does, right? When you feel anxious, what do you do? You pull, you know, you, you get in a defensive posture, or, or maybe you get in an offensive posture. Now you're, you're in a place where you feel like you're under attack, or you're going to lose the things that you have, so you start holding on tighter. But when we enter into life from a place of rejoicing in the Lord, we take our hands off. We're not in a defensive posture. We're open to what God is doing. We're open to the work of the Spirit in other people. We're open to the beauty happening around us, and not just the negativity. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, what Paul is saying, instead of using our imaginations to uh, imagine and ruminate and meditate over the worst-case scenarios, and by the way, there's plenty of worst-case scenarios we can come up with, right, in our world today. Instead of using our imaginations to engage in the worst possible things we can think of, we need to take our concerns and bring them to Jesus. Now, this isn't mere positive thinking. You know, there's a lot of kind of positive thinking out there, which is kind of a denial of reality. Like, you know, I, 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 I um, have run across people in, in my Christian experience who, when they're feeling sick, they won't admit that they feel sick because to, to admit that you feel sick is, is, is speaking it over your life. Like, how are you doing? You look pretty rough. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm... I'm kind of struggling with the cold, but I'm not going to speak that over myself as if just admitting you have a cold is like, you know, it's, 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 it's more akin to um, superstition than anything. What Paul's getting at right here is not that we deny reality. We're not just going to act like everything's going good, like, bless God, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> you know, everything's going great. Paul is, is getting at 
we can admit the things that we need help. We bring those requests to God. God, I'm struggling here. My finances don't look very good. <laughs> My job situation doesn't look good. I need you to show up in this relationship. Instead of using our imagination to imagine the worst, we admit what we're struggling with. We admit it to God. We just name it, and then we give it to God with thanksgiving. And that's, that's kind of a, a key here. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, one thing Dina and I have, have to do once in a while is when we start getting anxious about our finances or about situations going on in our lives, sometimes we have to just press pause on our life. And we, we got into this practice when, when we first got married, you know, because as I said before, like, like being a musician and, and a landscape person, sometimes I'd just run out of jobs. And, and we were going to full school full-time, and sometimes we had no clue how we were going to pay the bills at all. I mean, it, it looks scary. And, and uh, you know what we, me and Dina got in the habit of doing? We would just put pause, and we would sit down, and we'd start, or we'd take a walk around our house, and we'd just start thanking God for the ways he blessed us. And we'd start off with maybe our material possessions. You know, when we first got married, we didn't have anything except what people gave us. So we're like, God, thank you for this couch that we didn't buy ourselves. Thank you for this TV that my grandmother gave us. Thank you for, you know, and we would start with the, with the few material possessions that we had. And then we'd start working our way from the material things to the things that really matter. God, thank you for the love that we share for one another. Thank you for the community that we're a part of. Thank you for forgiving us and healing us. And thank you for dealing with, with our, our, our past sins and our wounds. And, and after a while... Not very long, 15, 20 minutes of, of naming the things that we're thankful for. Guess what? The anxiety just, just gone. And now we're into a place of openness. And guess what happens? The peace of God that's bigger than our understanding. What, what's that mean? It don't make any sense. That's, that's kind of the, the, the translation that I, I would use. The peace that don't make no sense is going to guard your heart. There's no reason... <laughs> Sometimes, like, like when, when me and Dina were first married, there was no reason we should have had peace about our situation. Looking at it from the outside, we should have been freaking out. <laughs> and yet, after we submitted our request to God in a spirit of thanksgiving, we found the peace of God that was bigger than, than worldly wisdom or our understanding began to settle upon us. And guess what? Paul says right there, it will guard your heart. That peace of God will actually fight for you, protect you. And that's, that's the wonderful thing. When you're in a place of anxiety, you feel like you've got to protect yourself. You're tense. You're ready to scrap. But when God's peace descends upon you, you're, you're in a place of gentleness because you're not having to fight for yourself. You're trusting that God's going to take care of you. Paul goes on in the, in the next verses, to, in, in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned 
or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. As I was preparing for this message this week, I was like, what would it be like if I inverted this scripture and turned it around? And I was shocked by what I saw. So here's my inverted translation of this. Finally, and brothers and sisters, whatever is fake, whatever is phony and inauthentic, whatever is unimpressive, whatever is flawed, whatever is tainted and corrupt, whatever is ugly, whatever is dishonorable, if anything worthy of derision, let it consume your thoughts, time, and energy. When I inverted that passage, I realized this is most people today in our world. How many of y'all got one of these smartphones? <laughs> How many of you use it for your alarm clock? Yeah. <laughs> and your directions and your source of information and all that stuff. This is a wonderful gadget. But I suspect here's what happens for most of us. Your alarm goes off in the morning. You hit stop. And then you go, I'm going to check my email. I'm going to check social media. I'm going to look up the news. And in those first five minutes of being conscious, you are bombarded with events that are negative and horrible that you have no power over whatsoever. And that's the way we start our days. So we go sit down at our computer and then look at the stuff again <laughs> and repeat, repeat over and over throughout the day. I don't think human beings are evolved to a place where we can handle the onslaught of information coming at us. I mean, I don't, I don't think our brains... I mean, you, you think of most of human history up until very recent times, you would have grown up in a small community and the only news that you would know about was just in your relatively small geographical location. Like if you were living in Louisiana, say you're living in Covington 300 years ago, um, I guess there wasn't a Covington 300 years ago. Say 200 years ago. Um, you're living in Covington? There could be war breaking out in Europe, and you wouldn't know about it for probably six months. There could be uh, uh, horrible events happening in New York City, and by the time you would find out about them, they would probably have resolved. And that's most of human history. Did my mic just drop out? Okay. Um, but here... In your early waking moments of the day, you're going to pull up that smartphone and you're going to find out about an earthquake in Pakistan, a revolution in Central America, a threat of nuclear war in North Korea, famine in Africa, terrorist attacks in Europe, wars in the Middle East, mass shootings in the United States. Is anybody getting depressed yet? I was doing great till I showed up at church this morning. And guess what? Every one of these situations, you have no power, no control over whatsoever. All you can do is, is feel bad. Whatever is fake, phony, inauthentic, whatever is unimpressive, whatever is flawed, whatever is tainted and corrupt, whatever is ugly, whatever is dishonorable, if anything worthy of derision, let it consume your thoughts and time and energy. When I turn this verse around, I'm like, doggone it, that seems like so much of my week. Just meditating on things that are ugly and fake and without merit. 
and fighting over them. But that's not what Paul said. (laughs) Paul says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And this is the perspective shift. You know, I I read a story recently about uh, a a little project that was done by um, a lady who was, I believe she was the um, psychology professor at Harvard. And she found a group of chambermaids. And these women were working, you know, eight to ten hours a day doing very physical work, but, but many of them were overweight. And they felt like they couldn't afford, uh, because of the cost of going to a gym, or they didn't have time to go to the gym. So they, they were women who wanted to lose weight and be healthier. And so what they did was they sat down with these women they said, Do you realize that your job actually provides you the same kind of workout as going to the gym? When you're making these beds, when you're doing this thing and that thing and cleaning this item, you're actually doing the same kind of exercises. Do you realize you're getting like three, like the equivalent of probably three hours worth of a gym workout in your ordinary day? The interesting thing is, just by telling these women (laughs) that what they're already doing is a workout and letting them be conscious of that, they started to lose weight without changing anything in their life. Without changing one thing in their life. They just showed up, and instead of looking at their job as just a job, they start looking at it as like, I'm getting paid to work out. I'm getting paid to work out. Just a slight shift in perspective, led to weight loss. Slight shift. I mean, I, I noticed the same thing. You know, about a year ago, right after Thanksgiving, I'm like, I can't continue to, uh, uh, I, I've got to lose some weight. And for me, every time I wanted to lose weight, I'm going to get a gym membership. I'm going to try some crazy diet where I cut out all protein or all carbs or all whatever. Uh, and, I'm gonna, and this time I'm like, I'm not going to try any of that. I'm just going to try to be more mindful in my everyday life. And so I got this little Fitbit thing. Um, and, and, and so I try to get like 10,000 steps a day. This is not a commercial for Fitbit. But what I realized is it got me interacting in my day in a different way. Instead of thinking of exercise as something I got to do at the gym, now I started shifting to, okay, when I take that hour-long conference call, why do I need to be sitting down? I can walk three miles in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, when I'm practicing for, for certain things, why don't I do this standing up instead of sitting down? How many things? Can, you know, and so without making any big changes in my life, just shifting my perspective, I realized I can do this. And so I've, I've probably clocked in you know, a couple thousand miles in this last year uh, just by doing that. But it's just a, a shift. And as I said, you know, I know I've shared a little bit about this the last few weeks, but, you know, we've, we've, um, we had this condo we put up on the market in Kenner when we decided to plant this church, and we still have it, even though we tried to sell it for the last eight years, and we are reluctant landlords, and I don't like it, and uh, not what I would choose, and our, our most recent thing happened where our tenant, you know, we got stuck with 
they didn't pay two months worth of rent and left the place a mess and not real happy about it. Um, and when I first showed up to start <laughs> cleaning, I mean, it's, it's, it was so gross. It was like it took three hours to clean an oven that, you know, was new a year ago. And um, I'm, I'm struggling with resentments, and I'm struggling with my faith in humanity. <laughs> and I'm not in a happy place, but I ended up... <laughs> and this, this is probably where some of this message comes from. I ended up shifting my perspective. You know, Dina... We're having a conversation one night. She goes, why does this stuff keep happening to us? How come we haven't been able to sell this? Is God mad at us? I mean, these are the kind of things you think when things go wrong. You know, are we doing it wrong? And I said, I don't know. I wish I knew why this keeps happening. I wish we were free from this. But I said, honestly, Dina, if it wasn't this, it'd be something else. Nothing ever works the way you want. And if you can just come to peace with that, like your life is never going to be ideal. And if you get a five minutes of ideal life, Awesome. We wouldn't know what to do with ideal, though, would we? I mean, you ever had like a few months where everything's like awesome, and you're like, you just get lazy and complacent. You lose meaning. You know, we, so, so it's, it, instead of trying to get rid of all the horrible things in our life that we don't want, that we didn't ask for, and that we didn't expect it, better to just say, okay, well, how can I deal with this? And I shifted my perspective. I said, God, this is not what I asked for. <laughs> this is not what I want but I want to encounter you in this. And so, even though it, it added, you know, this last month, I've, I've just been going and going and going because I've been trying to repaint this place. I just realized, okay, well, if I'm going to be painting for five hours. I'm going to spend some time with God. <laughs> so no music on, no podcast, just me and some paintbrushes. Just spent some time with God. And I actually came away refreshed. I actually came away feeling like I connected with God. But I had to get out of that resentment place because at first I wasn't even painting very good because I was about to break paintbrushes, you know, like, I was like Martha, you know, just in the kitchen, like I'm doing something and I'm not happy that I'm doing it. And I finally got to a place where like, God, I can't, I can't change these circumstances, but I can find you in them. Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is lovely. Think about these things. <laughs> it is so easy when things happen that are outside of our expectations. When life gives you something that you don't want, and you find yourself in a position where you got to do something you didn't ask for and you're not happy about it. And oftentimes it's because of somebody else's choices. That's the part I don't like. You know, if it was just random things, but when there's other people involved, ah. But if we stay in that place of resentment, we stay in that place of, of anxiety, that place of fear, we're closed off. We're not going to see God doing anything. But if we can shift our perspective, as Paul's talking about here, bring our anxieties to God, name them, name why they're making us anxious, but, but be thankful to God, turn our attention to how God's already taken care of us and, and know that it will be all right like we sang today. And then as we do that, shift our focus to the good things, the noble things, the beautiful things. We will find that God is at work all around us, and we will find ourselves being transformed in the process. So the questions today, 
as we close. How can I choose to shift the way I look at difficult circumstances? How can I be in a posture that opens me up to the goodness of God even while things aren't going the way that I would like them to? Let's let this be our guide for these next few weeks of going through the holiday season and see where this may take us. Because with all the hustle and bustle and stress and all that stuff, this could be a time where you get twisted sideways, or this can be a very meaningful time, but don't expect that it's going to be meaningful because it's easy. Rather, find the meaning in the mess. Don't you stand? Lord God, we thank you for your peace that is greater than our understanding. We ask for the grace to surrender our anxieties, our fears, our worries to you, God. And Lord, I just pray you would help us to all reflect and be aware of of all the ways that you have come through for us in the past, God, that this would be a time, a season of thankfulness, of gratitude, of rejoicing. And Lord, I just pray for everyone in here that is facing things that they didn't ask for, they didn't want, or that those who are struggling with resentments, those who are struggling with anxieties, God, or that we would be able to find you, to find goodness in the things that we didn't choose. Turn our hearts, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I went a little long today. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) If you need prayer, come on up here to the front. And uh, otherwise, go pick up your kids and tell the children's people that I'm sorry. Tell them this is an opportunity for them to practice forgiveness. (laughs) God bless y'all. See you next week.